Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. The reality is, is that when a customer has a bad experience with our one of our locations or with our brand, very rarely is it a catastrophic fail on the company's part. It's not like they got punched in the face or their car caught on fire or they got foodborne illness. On the contrary, most of those mediocre experiences that they're having are just the team at the location did not deliver the experience or the product to the level of expectation, right? That's it. And what's even more frustrating is that so many of those fails um, that are creating those mediocre experiences have already been identified by the company. We already know that that's an issue. We've trained on it. We told you to look out for it. But the reality is, is that we are asking so much more from our employees today than at any other time in the past. We expect them to have such a grasp on all of these details, but we are not giving them the tools to be successful, right? And that's what we do at Ops Analytica. We are the platform that you give to your hourly employees so they know uh, what they have to do, when they have to do it, and so they don't miss anything. And then on the corporate side, you now have visibility into what's happening and you can hold them accountable to doing it. And you can get rid of those mediocre experiences and control what you can control. And Ops Analytica is a major key to that success. Check us out at opsanalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show. It's Tommy Yanoulis and I'm back with another episode. Please welcome to the show, Michael Liu. How are you doing, Michael? Good, Tommy. It's very nice to be on the show. Thanks for invite. Oh, of course. And I want to just point out to everybody that Michael is talking to me today from Taiwan, so it's midnight there. So I woke him up to do the show. So you got to give him <laughs> special love for that. Man, uh, anything for my buddy, Tommy. So, <laughs> Oh, man. So uh, uh, welcome to the show. Show super easy, man. What we do is I ask everybody the same five questions and uh, let's get started because my first, the first question is my favorite. Uh, explain yep. what you do today, but then I want you to go back to your first job and take me through your career progression from where you started to how you got back to where you are today. All right. So uh, you know, I, I was actually born in Taiwan, but was raised in Vancouver. So uh, growing up in a Chinese family, uh, uh, you know, if there's a- any listeners out there, you know, not exactly the FMB type, but it's, it's more of a, uh, you know, engineering families. So both my parents as, as well as my siblings are all in like either like civil or electrical engineering. But I, I was just never, you know, I was kind of like that one odd kid kind of really trying to try out new things and stuff. So I, I actually landed my first job um, in college. Uh, working with Starbucks, oh nice, and, and that and that's really where it it, it kind of started, because uh, that that was actually the same year when Howard Schultz came back uh, after his retirement, and really transfer transformed like Starbucks, you know, all the way through, um, and and I think I fell in love with, you know, how F and B can really you know transform someone's day by, you know, just saying that, you know, hi in the mornings or, you know, thank you, see you, see you tomorrow kind of thing. So it, it really had an impact because, uh, you know, uh, I was really looking for that some like human interactions in, in, in my career path. And, and uh, I think F&B really brought me that. So uh, 
uh, and then you know I worked my way through uh, to a store manager, to an area manager, as well to an operations manager. And then after a couple of years, you know, I was trying to out new challenges. So I started joining, you know, uh, other coffee chains. Like uh, there's a coffee chain called Waves Coffee back in Vancouver, and working a franchise operations. So I was working as an operations director there for about a couple of years. Then、uh, you know, got married, had kids, so we kind of moved back to Taiwan. And、uh, you know that's where I had a small shift in my career, going from F&B to、uh, you know food tech, and that's when I actually joined、uh, Deliveroo.、Um, so that's a、um, delivery platform, just like、uh, Uber Eats or Grubhub, and、um, it was actually launching, about to launch in Taiwan. And so I was actually joining as a country launcher, and eventually look after the operations for Taiwan. And then、uh, we became actually one of the fastest growing country out of the Delaru、uh, overall in the global markets. And then you know, COVID comes, you know,、uh, you know, had a lot of impact ar- around the world, where they had to you know kind of leave the markets. And then eventually, actually,、uh, Just Kitchen right,、uh, was actually、uh, one of my clients、uh, started out, and I joined them as a consultant, and eventually. You know, they kind of wanted me to get on board and became the executive vice president here. So yeah, that's pretty much it for my career path. Okay, so two things. One, we have very similar backgrounds in the respect, <laughs> like,、uh, so my grandfather's immigrated to the U.S. back in like the early 1900s. One from Greece and one from Puerto Rico. And at different times in their lives, mainly my Greek grandfather mostly, but then my Puerto Rican grandfather too, both owned restaurants. They were big restaurant guys, right? Yeah. But but then sort of opposite though, then my parents saw how much my grandfather struggled in the restaurant industry, and so my dad was a rocket scientist, and my mom worked for、oh. Martin. And、uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. They wanted nothing to do with restaurants.、Um, yeah. It's probably And, MIT straight through. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, my dad was like, "Yeah, he worked for the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Labs in Maryland." Oh wow! So、yeah. like he did crazy stuff. And so he wanted nothing to do with restaurants. But it's also because, and this is like a backstory with my whole dad's family. My grandfather was like, you know, had like a twelve. He came here at twelve with no education, made several million dollar fortunes and lost them all. So like my dad was pretty like sour on the restaurant business. <laughs> I was like, nah, I got to get some steadiness in my life, and so he went the math route. But then、yeah. I wanted to be in restaurants. I wanted nothing to do with tech. You know, didn't seem interesting to me or whatever. But then I was in the restaurant industry till 2009. But I got a, I was at Quiznos Corporate at the time before Quiznos. Oh wow!、Okay. And I actually got some tech experience there, building out an audit platform for the restaurants. And so then I moved into tech. So I went from、yeah. SMB into tech, just like you.、Um, wow! Yeah, which is just kind of crazy、uh, that we have such close things. So real quick, I don't believe that Just Kitchen's in the U.S. yet, is it? So can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So actually, Just Kitchen、um, is uh, uh, we're actually listed in the Canadian Stock Exchange, Toronto Stock Exchange,、uh, but we're actually operating in Taiwan at the moment. So we started in Taiwan. And、uh, most of our founders actually have F&B experience, so we actually uh, also uh, owns the uh, Fridays, 
uh, group in Taiwan. So the TGIFs, as well as the uh, Texas Roadhouse, and also Smith and Wolanskis in Taiwan. Oh, nice. And and yeah, so so it came as a you know I I also describe as a beautiful mistake where you know we we're looking for our you know commissary kitchen. And then you know, someone something was available in the market. So when we actually purchased it, and then we just found out that it it was actually suitable for our operations for for the other brands. So you know, we were thinking about you know what we wanted to do with it. So uh, eventually, you know, given my experience with Deliveroo, uh, kind of you know just put in as a cloud kitchen concept. So so we actually transformed that location into a into a cloud kitchen. And uh, that was just actually a, a year and a half ago. Oh, wow. So uh, now we're actually with, um, you know, uh, 22 locations <laughs> in Taiwan and two locations in Hong Kong. So that's just about a year and a half ago. And um, yeah, uh, we started with, uh, you know, five people. And then uh, we're, we're, our, our employee count right now is 450. So Holy crazy, God. crazy expansions just wow. in the last year and a half. So are you guys putting the cloud kitchens in existing restaurants or are you finding like strip mall locations or old malls or something and turning them into cloud kitchens? So our, our model is a little different than the typical uh, cloud kitchen. Um, we, we operate something called a hub and spoke model. So mm-hmm. uh, actually all of our uh, kitchens are 100% operated by us. So it's corporate operated. So we actually run, our, run the kitchen, hire the staffs ourselves, and, you know, uh, and do the daily operations ourselves. So uh, we'll actually look for locations uh, using you know, data approach to find the best location and to put in the kitchen. And within the kitchen is actually one large kitchen mm-hmm. and uh, serves about, you know, every kitchen serves different brands, but anywhere from nine to 12 different brands. So, okay. So what's your square footage you're looking for, just out of curiosity? Uh, usually we operate around 1500 square feet. Oh, wow. So everybody's getting like 200 square feet, if that much, like a hundred, 200 square feet. Uh, uh, actually, uh, our model is, uh, it's a little different because we, we actually operate as one large kitchen. Okay. And then, uh, so we put in about 15 staffs or, you know, 12, anywhere from 12 to 15. And then they just operate that one big kitchen. Right. But you just you're just basically training these guys to cook the Friday's menu, the chili's menu, some noodle menus. They just have all the ingredients prepped and they're just cooking whatever it is through the whole kitchen. Like yes. like big like almost like I would equate it to uh hold on, Cheesecake Factory Kitchen because they have like, you know, such an insane menu. Like it's yeah. almost like that where you literally have to have a pantry, a grill, maybe a wok, uh, you know. Yeah, flat top fire grill because you could be doing you could be making a burger and you could be making spaghetti right next to each other because the orders are coming out. Oh wow! Do you yeah an executive chef at each location? Um, No, and that's where you know the the hub comes along, right? Because the Mm -hmm. hub is it's um, it's a you know a forty five thousand you know square feet location. So sorry, uh, sorry, it's actually a uh, 4,500 square feet. Okay. Um, like it, it, it works like a commissary kitchen, right? Sure. So, so we actually produce most of our food uh, inside our hub yeah. to about 80%, right? 
And then yeah. we dis we distribute that to our spoke, which is like the satellite stores. And the, yeah. the 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 store is pretty much you know just open the packets, do the final mile in the in the fryers or on the grill, and then just yep. serve it out. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's almost like you're making all your sauces, all your salsas, all your you know you're pre cooking all your noodles and putting them in reheat bags. And so then at the at the spoke kitchen, when spaghetti marinara comes in as an order. I'm literally taking the noodles out of a bag that are pre-weighed, dunking it in hot water, grabbing a sauce packet, or maybe the sauce is already hot because we use it for 50 things, and I'm just putting it on there, throwing it in a box, and yeah, I'm getting it out the door. Yeah, with you know, uh, with with our background, you know, we're trying to provide the you know, highest quality of food as well. So, yeah. so when you're bringing on a new client right? Then you really have to look at their menu offering and decide if they're going to fit from that. You're probably having to look at, okay, do we already have some of these ingredients around that we can use? Right. And then also you're probably looking at it from a time perspective as well, right? Like you can't just go, like someone just can't call you guys. I'm like, Hey, I want to go in here and I do yeah. some rando thing that like, you know, isn't going to fit in your model. You have to be really disciplined about who you're bringing into these, uh, to your hub and spoke, right? Yeah, so we take actually a very strategic approach to the partners that we're selecting. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, there could be, you know, numerous of factors, right? It could be sure. prep time. Okay, yeah. it could be, you know, ingredients that are shared. Or, you know, we look at, you know, brand equities. And, you know, there's, so we'll do a weighing of all those stuff. And then to trying to find whatever that is the, the best partner brands, right? And mm -hmm. uh, we also have our own R&D chefs, uh, R&D team. So that will work with the, you know, the, the li licensed partners, R&D team together to come up with, you know, whatever that's best suitable for, uh, for the menus, right? For example, yeah. you know, for Fridays, uh, you know, we're, we're not just selling, you know, the typical Fridays menu, but, you know, we're just picking whatever that we think that it fits the best for sure. the del delivery menu. And it was, so we called it Fridays to go. So nice. Yeah. Because you just can't like, there's some items that are just too complicated, which I mean, granted, I think one thing that one of the say, silver linings for the restaurant industry during COVID mm -hmm. is that a lot of these guys really looked at their menus and said, why are we doing this super complicated sandwich that like you know, nobody buys? You know what I mean? Or, or it's not that nobody buys it, but like it has us holding six new ingredients that only go on this one thing. We either got to come up with some other menu items for this, or we got to get rid of it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we can't, we, we can't be all things to everybody anymore. We got to streamline some of this stuff. Yeah. So ex exactly. We look at, you know, stock turnovers, right. For, yeah. for all of our ingredients and, you know, some things just doesn't make sense sometimes. Sure. So, <laughs> so oh. we kind of, you know, review the menu, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, periodic basis. Right. And just to improve it, you know, every, every quarter or something. So. Absolutely. I mean, and you, one thing you said that I love was that we take a really big data approach to this, right. Cause yeah, um, because like, and, and just for those of you guys, and obviously you who listen to the podcast know that I'm a data wonk. I mean, our whole platform is about operating data, right? That's what we do. But, you know, I truly believe that we're on the cusp of what I'm going to call the operations data revolution. And that we were, 
we're going to see in the next, I don't know, my guess is one to five years that com- all the restaurant companies are going to really, really, really start having to invest in all forms of data to make decisions and not just kind of go from their guts anymore. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so you saying using data, and I'm assuming what you were looking at was probably population density and sales data, but then obviously cook time, prep time, ingredients, and all that other stuff. Is that the data you guys are kind of looking at? Uh, yeah, that's actually part of the, uh, the data we look at, right? So, so when we're talking about data, I, I, I always like to refer to, to a movie, which really inspired me, which is Moneyball. Oh, I love uh, it. <laughs> yeah. So where, you know, like we have these, all these scouts, you know, looking for players based on experience and pay, based on, you know, their, their past. Yeah. Uh, rather than, you know, looking at the stats and try to make it work, right? So, uh, so when we look at data, uh, for example, you know, to build up locations, you know, we, we not just look at, you know, population density. It's definitely a big factors, but, but we also do a lot of uh uh, web scraping. So basically, we look at, you know, which of the restaurants in the neighborhood are actually serving more orders than the, you know, than others, then, you know, the, the, the neighborhood that is having more orders would have a larger demand from that location, right? So uh, because the delivery uh, aspect only restrict to a, you know, three to four kilometer radius. Sure. Uh, uh, at least in Taiwan. So, you know, we really have to pick the right area to, you know, the, you know, a four by four street corners or something, right? Yeah. So, so uh, we do that online to look at the data scraping. And we also have another team that goes offline to verify the models. So over time, the model will actually get more accurate as we, you know, as we go on, and eventually our success rate will, you know, hit to 80 or 90%. So, yeah, it's so funny. You said Moneyball. I literally wrote a blog called Moneyball for restaurants. It's, oh my God. Okay. So that's awesome. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, because, so it's funny. One of the first podcasts I did was with one of my good buddies from grad school who was a chef and a sommelier, but had worked in large supply chain and Heinz and Wendy's and was, it was, was, unfortunately he passed this last year at like 39. Which oh is no. Crazy. Um, yeah. but he, uh, he was, um, you know, he just genius guy. And one of the things, cause he was a big menu developer cause he was a chef and a sommelier, but also knew. So, and one of the things he said in his podcast episode was he was amazed having worked at these large companies, how so often still, you know, they were coming up with like special items and things that they were going to run like national, national things. And they were just going, ah, let's just make a Cobb salad. You know, like they didn't, there was no like science behind what they wanted to do. They just, let me move for a Cobb salad. Why don't we make one for the entire chain? You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of amazed yeah. at that because his process was all, like, you know, going to the supply chain and figuring out what what item, you know, they had in, in large supply of. Maybe it's chicken thighs right now. And so yep. let's get something with chicken thighs and let's figure it all out, you know, and back into the perfect item that's going to be super popular, whatever. And, 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 you know, I just think the restaurant industry is COVID forced the restaurants, especially in the States, to really up their tech game, especially around delivery and, and ordering and all that. But that 
that acceleration is going to continue because there are players out there right now. And a lot of, and some of them I'm proud to say are my clients. Um, and they are pushing the envelope operationally with data, data, data. And what you're going to start to see is the people who use data and don't just go off of experience and gut feel. And this is the way we've been doing it for 30 years. They are going to incrementally start pulling ahead. And it's going yeah. to be very obvious, very quickly. It's going to be, it's going to be like a snowball rolling down a mountain, right? It's going to start small. And all of a sudden, all these little incremental wins, all these little, hey, we found that problem and addressed it quicker than that guy are going to start to add up. And all of a sudden, these companies are going to start growing, getting better locations, doing more marketing, hiring better teams to do everything. And they're going to pull ahead from their competitors. And, and that's just going to naturally happen. It's happened in every other industry that data has really taken hold in. And it's pushed the data-driven company ahead of its analog uh, competitor. And I'm, I 100% believe operationally that that's the next frontier, right? Because everybody's on parity, right? Like everybody's got, yeah. like, you know, 20 years ago, Pizza Hut and Domino's spent millions and millions and millions of dollars developing online ordering, right? Yes. Yeah. That was what they spent. I'm actually trying to talk to people at either of those corporate headquarters to find out what they really spent to put those first web, you know, ordering systems online. And, and now even 2015, you know, having an ordering system and an app was really hard to do. And now if you don't have one, it's a choice because you can <laughs> for like less than a hundred bucks a month, you know, yeah. you have the full online suite of tools. And so now we're at parity. Everyone's got access to that. Like I said, you're physically choosing not to do it if you don't have yeah. it. And so where's the next, where's the next efficiency? The supply chain is already massively efficient. Like I don't know, even with the, what we have going on today, the supply chain and the commissary model, which is a huge model here in the States, when Chipotle moved from making the food fresh in the store to the commissary, you know, I mean, that, I mean, Taco Bell's been doing that for years. Panera was doing that for years. You know, like that was a huge shift for QSR. Like people went, okay, wait a second. What are we doing here? You know, <laughs> like we're, we're risking getting people sick by not doing the commissary model. So yeah. The supply chain's there. The next level of this whole thing is who can operate more efficiently and who can fix things faster. Right. That's the it, it, next frontier. Exactly, exactly. Because, um, you know, given the, these innovators, you know, yeah. they're, they're just going to tap into technologies, you know, to really enable their, you know, operations, right? Yeah. And, and for, for those, you know, still trying to figure out, uh, you know, they're, they're already a step too late. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because even if you're stumbling through it right now, you're yeah. learning, right? And the biggest thing you have to learn is, and I think it's the biggest lesson in general, is that data trumps experience 99% of the time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and the reality is, is that experience is like, oh, well, that didn't work last time. Well, you know, it's working. You know, like, yeah. I, maybe we didn't execute it correctly, you know, or whatever. So... Well, 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 to me, I think that, you know, innovation is driving innovation, right? Yeah. What that means is that since there's technology, 
uh, things are evolving much faster that just, you know, like pure experience are not able to really catch up. Yeah. And, and to a point where, you know, if you don't have a smartphone right now, you know, you're, you're totally off the hook, off yeah. the map. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so I, I think, you know, having, you know, like, you know, uh, these, uh, innovative approaches will really enable you to get more connected you know to to me i think uh fmb is never a competition i think the 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 market is large enough to sustain as much restaurants as possible but you just have to be on the bus right (laughs) yeah Love, yeah, that's a great, good, good, or good, great reference. That guy's yeah. see you, Boulder. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. And like, and, I, and also, I just want to point out to you guys, too, like, if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, God, like, I'm so you know, I got into restaurants so I didn't have to be on computers, right? And yeah, and changing obviously because everyone's having to adopt technology and they're used to it now, like. Yeah, you know, ten. I mean, it's it's interesting because this my company's been in business for seven years. We started this this company in 2015. We had a previous company which was a tech company, but we did work with like gigantic, large tech, you know, like the World Bank and you know. Oh wow! Okay, stuff yeah. like that. We did a very specific niche thing, but for huge companies. But like even from 2015, like when we came out into the marketplace, just ourselves, we got no traction at all. And it was crazy because we were like, well, what's going on? Like, this is such a no brainer. But at that point, everybody was just sort of struggling with how, like my competitors got online ordering. How the hell do I get that? Like that's all everybody was doing. And a lot of the money that was going into was, well, my POS can't handle online ordering. So now I got to go find 6,000 POS registers, you know, and that's going to cost me millions of dollars how do I do this? And so they spent 2015 in my mind to like 2018. Really, we, we, you know, we would get a couple early adopters here and there, but we weren't getting any real traction because nobody was focused on it. And we would hear it constantly. Yeah, we're interested in doing that, but we we're doing this POS project right now, or we're doing a website project. Yeah. And we just don't have the bandwidth to take this on. And that's changed in the last like two years, 2019, it started changing where companies were like, Hey, wait, we've got bandwidth. Now, if we're going to do this, we should start collecting data on it. And, and it yeah. just get moved forward. Uh-huh. But, uh, uh, oh. Yeah. And, and to me, I think um, it's okay to be afraid because, you know, we're learning new things every day. Yeah. But being, being a restaurant operators or a, you know, uh, a FNB manager or, you know, um, um, you know, owner, like you really have to try to, to adopt. It's not as scary as they think. I mean, it's, it's a huge change for me going from a, you know, coffee house operator yeah. into a delivery platform operator. Right. Yeah. And, and, but you know, when, when, when you actually explore into it, when you open the box, you know, it, it's just sometimes simple math. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, uh, like whoever asked that's listening, you know, definitely encourage you to, you know, to approach that with courage and you'll find that is actually not that difficult for sure. 
it, yeah, it's like everything else in the world. It's scary until you dip your toe in the water and then you realize it's all simple. Like, yeah, you know, because it, it really is. It's all broken down. Like, you know, I'm not a coder by trade, right? And I, I actually yeah. can't write code. I can, like, I used to be able to develop on a workflow platform. So I understand how code's broken down and I can do all the steps, but I can't like write C sharp or read it or anything like that. I have developed yeah. But software is just breaking down uh, all the steps from A to Z into just a series of small logical steps, right? So like all these different processes and all these things that we're trying to do, they're just, if you just really look at what they're doing, you can kind of start to see how it's just broken down into a series of little workflow steps that just happen and then that happens and that triggers that and it's done. And, and it, you can demystify anything, right? Like, um, like for what we do, business application software. I don't know about yeah. AI, the matrix, all that stuff. That stuff's more complicated. But what we're doing is we're just, you know, taking a, a business process and we're just turning it into a series of small steps. They push this button, something happens, and then a ticket prints in the printer. That's it, right? It's the same thing. Um, oh, cool. So that was question number one. You can see I've got a lot of discipline. <laughs> love um, it, love it. Uh, what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Um, well, uh, to us, because, you know, Taiwan is a, you know, very limited market. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we having 22 stores right now covers about, you know, uh, I think 60% to 70%, wow. you know, major population areas already. Sure. So, so we actually entered the uh, Hong Kong market market last year with two mm -hmm. stores standing strong right now. And my biggest project right now is definitely you know global expansion, right? And uh, my priority right now is to go into the Southeast Asia market. Sure. So uh, our plan is to launch into uh, Singapore, Philippines, and Malaysia, uh, and Thailand, Q1 uh, this year. So that's probably like the biggest. <laughs> project that we're working on right now um, let me ask you this question so the big complaint well the big problem we're having in the states and i don't know if this is true everywhere yeah the big problem we're having in the states right now is staffing during covid a lot of people left the industry yeah uh, the industry and um and so they've been having a hard time and then the government did some assistance things that like you know kept yeah. a lot of people out of the job market over the summer last summer they gave crazy benefits, which really was like a gut punch to the restaurant and hospitality. <laughs> a gut punch to a lot of the like retail and restaurant industries because yeah. they were looking to kind of recover and start getting back on track. And then the government decides to pay out all this cash to people to stay home, basically. Yeah. Um, and so then they couldn't really get the recovery they needed because they couldn't staff up to do it. And if you don't have the staff, you can't you know do everything you want to do. So are you guys finding the job market in Asia is similar where you can't find people to work or is it just because of the sheer volume and numbers there that you can just get people? Well, I think, uh, you know, uh, I think one of the advantage in, uh, at least in Taiwan or Hong Kong is uh, they're not as severe in terms of COVID mm -hmm. uh, as the other countries. So, you know, the government re don't really have to step in to yep. aid any, you know, people and, and is and also like like population density is just you know yeah. very dense right so yeah. so i think we 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 currently definitely 
uh, still trying to um, grow more stores by sure. growing and also hiring more people. And we, I, I won't say that we don't have a labor shortage problem. I think it's a worldwide problem. But sure. uh, I think that you know by using the ghost kitchen model, uh, we're able to you know create a better, a more attractive compensation plan for for our staff to sure. to be able to retain them, right? And the other thing is to really uh, grill all the hard works into the hub. Mm-hmm. So that we can actually lower our skills expectations, yeah. and to be able to find you know, uh, like, you know, le- lesser skill or lesser experienced staffs, right? And, and that would be more widely opened, rather than if I have to look for a you know chef of parties or you know sous chef, that sure. that would be much harder, harder for sure. So of course, yeah, yeah, you get you get the the super talented chefs and cooks at the hub that are that are focused on food safety, sanitation, and obviously quality control. And you really run it like a production kitchen and you put the talent there and anybody can take a burger patty, get it on a grill or put it through a, a flame broiler and throw a piece of cheese on it at the end and dress the burger. But the complicated part, which was the sauce, the sriracha mayo, that was made perfectly by a chef at the hub. No, it totally makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah and, sure. And the reality is, too, like, okay, so, like, I work both front of the house and the back of the house, right? Like, I waited tables. I managed the front of the house. I also worked in the back of the house. And they're, they're different jobs, right? The front of the house, yeah, they make more money. If you're a waiter in a fancy big restaurant, you can make a ton of cash where maybe the guys in the back of the house aren't making as much. But the guys in the back of the house, they get to listen to music and like talk and tell jokes and have fun. And like everyone's laughing and, you know, banging things out. And it's like this sort of like, you know, you're, you're in the, like the, the, the foxhole or the trenches together. And the people in the front of the house get yelled at by customers and stuff. But yeah, they make more money, right? But then if the slow, the guys in the back of the house get paid, you know, 20 bucks an hour. And the guys in the front of the house make nothing, you know? There's a lot of lunches where like I barely paid for the parking to go work at the restaurant. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, it's just, they're two different models. And I always, I love both for the different aspects of them. And I did them at different times in my life, but definitely like there's a romanticism about being in the back of the house. And when you are, especially when you're busy at the yeah. back of the house, when you're busy and you got the radio on and tickets are flying out everywhere and you're just banging out food and you're talking. And if you have a good crew of guys and you're kind of working in synchronicity, you know, uh, it, that, that is a great feeling that like, you know, and I always complain about this in the podcast, but as the industry, we don't do a good job of selling the benefits of what we have. And that's, there's something great about that. Like I remember I worked at a fine dining club and we would all go out and get drinks after work and we would go play pool and drink and, you know, just talk about the night. Yeah. You know, I don't know. This is a whole camaraderie that you get. And with the ghost kitchen, the nice thing is you don't have to deal with any customers, you know, you just <laughs> drivers pick up stuff and they go. Yeah. So, so for ghost kitchen, I, I think the great thing is kind of marry the both worlds. Right. Yeah. So, so the front of house is very easy, right. Is, is yeah. obviously right. The, the drivers. Yeah. Uh, as well as for some of our locations, we do offer pickups as well, but you know, you, you don't have to, you know, deal with wait, wait, waiting for, customers right you don't have to yeah. serve the customers and all that stuff 
And then in the kitchens, you know, we we do have all the kitchens playing different music to yeah. to their likes, and they're yeah. just really rocking it, right? Yep. You know, people start singing sometimes, exchanging words, or you know, having just having a blast work, working yep. in the kitchen. And 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 over time, I think it, it really has a bond in, in the kitchen. To to it's like kind of like army, right? Like we're yeah. you know you know we're, we're whatever crew, and we're sticking to each other, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So the bromance or whatever yeah. chef romance there is is really helping with the retention sometimes. But but that is really have to comes with a great manager, right? Yeah. Or a line cook, or sorry, a a a leader. That that's able to lead the pack as well. So we invest a lot of education or a lot of time to grow our leaders in the shops to make that extra impact there. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the key to a restaurant success, and we always talk about this, like on the podcast, and I'll ask you this question later. But we talk about culture, right? Um, and, and culture, you know, we always talk about culture on the podcast, and you know, in general, whatever. But like. It really does start with having a great people manager. You know, I would hire a high school educated McDonald's shift leader who was really good at his job over a double degreed person to manage a team because that guy, that shift leader at McDonald's knows how to manage people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the, that's the key to this business is creating that team. Um, You know, and, and yeah, so you have to get, like, it's not about, you can teach technical skills for the most part. You, know, you can't necessarily teach artistry, but you can teach technical skills. But you can't, you can, like, people leaders are like so invaluable to our industry because you're ultimately getting, you're, you're trying to move this it's unit cohesion. I mean, we're sort of getting stuck on this army uh, theme, but you know what I mean? Like it, it truly is just, if you can create a great environment, oh my gosh, the best. And for a lot of our kitchen leaders, you know, just like you said, you know, they, they, they could have only like high school educations, right? Yeah. But by providing them the opportunities and empower them yes. to, to be able to have that entrepreneur spirit really, yep. really, really uh, gives them, you know, another shot, you know, it could be the next American dream or something. So, uh-huh. so eventually these people are, um, are able to, also nurture new leaders right so yeah. it's generations to generations and if eventually you know a lot of our corporate staffs are you know uh, promoted within our kitchen as well so well especially because you're growing so fast right now yeah but like you know and that that was kind of what happened to chipotle right like yeah and if you look at the rise and fall of chipotle it was they were doing such an amazing job of promoting from within probably up to like 500 to 750 units. They just were able to, they were growing at a pace where they could get a guy and all of a sudden if they showed a little talent and they were a shift leader and then they were an assistant GM and then, you know, they were growing at a pace where then all of a sudden those cream of the crop guys were getting their own stores you know, and making really great money doing it. But then they hit a point where they got the investment and the demand and they just blew through that. And they uh, they got to a certain point where they were developing more stores and they could staff. And that's when they started to have some of their issues 
because, you know, they weren't really a big systems driven company. They were more like we had the right people. We trained them to do the right stuff and it'll all work. Yeah. But when they had to start oh, bringing sure. in people from the outside, that's when it started getting all jacked up. And then you have your 2015 events. So, yeah, exactly. Okay. Number three, what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Um, well, I think it's probably a, you know, everyone is trying to achieve that globally, but, you know, working with a third party operators, mm -hmm. trying to, uh, retrieve that customer info, I think is definitely like, I think the biggest challenge right now, because, you know, with these platforms, we're, we're not able to retrieve customers. So we're not able to target and retarget the customers through, you know, loyalties or retention marketing, right? Sure. And, and, and that is really what was breaking, like what I'm trying, we're, we're all, always thinking about breaking through uh, is to how to drive that traffic to a fourth party, to our own, you know, white labeled, you know, ordering platform rather than going through, you know, DoorDash or Grubhub and, you know, give, give that 20% or 30% commission rates. And what, why, why don't we just put that back to the customers pockets? Right. Yeah. Okay. So I did an interview with a guy who has his own ordering platform out of South Africa. And yeah. I'm a, you remind me after what, when we get done the podcast, I'm going to try to connect you to all right. That's, um, that would be awesome. Yeah. Because, uh, and he's growing all over the place too. Uh, and he's a, he's a cool dude. He's doing something. Uh, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll talk afterwards, but yeah, because, uh, yeah, no. And I mean, that's, that is, uh, you know, that's the real issue. I mean, DoorDash provides value. I'm not going to say the delivery platforms don't provide value. They do, but they take a big chunk of money for it. They, they earn it. And, you know, it, and a lot of times in the restaurant industry, 20%, like I worked at PF Chang's, one of the busier ones in the States, and oh, wow. we were yeah. a 20% margin restaurant. But if yeah. you can imagine where that money goes, you know, like, uh, yeah, but if it's all going to the delivery service, then you're just basically covering your fixed, you know, and you're covering your fixed exactly. and your no profit. Yeah. Um, and yeah. things, people doing things too, like, like nego like the big chains, like negotiating where if the lead comes from our website to yours, we don't have to pay as much. That type of stuff, right? Like if you can drive the traffic to order through your site and then just then farm it out to a delivery service, then you might be able to pick up five extra points on that because it, you know they're saying it's not only the driver but it's the marketing, right? Like you're getting the marketing of going to the DoorDash site, but you know whatever. So yeah, yeah and. and I think, um, you know, through that, we're not able to, <clears throat> you know, do a lot of customer profilings. Yeah, of course. So I, I'm not sure if it's Zhang Dou or Jing Dou that actually likes yeah. my food. So where, where, which direction should I go, right? Should yeah. I make it more towards, you know, what kind of demographics, what kind of, you know, for male, female, what occasions are ordering my food? Yeah. So, so that, that, that really become a challenge for us to go down the road. And that's why, you know, we're doing extra layer of, of data scraping, right? Sure. Well, and it goes back to you guys make your decisions based off of data. So it's not gut feel for you. And if like, you know, if 
uh, DoorDash is not going to sell you and or let you access the data from your customers, then, you know, you're, they're putting you at a disadvantage because you, that, that affects your PMIX, that affects what you offer, that affects how you market. You know, there's a lot of things that like you might be, you know, you might think you're, you're, you know, you might have an item that's not moving and it's because I mean, it, it was made for like a, you know, a man, it's a 2000 calorie burger and all these women are like your customers and you don't even know it. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, let's buy this thing. It's like 18 pounds of ground beef and 16 pieces of bacon. Weird. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this question. Have you guys looked at any of these uh, other delivery technologies? Like, and the reason I say this is because you guys are in Taiwan. And just for those people who are listening, and Michael, tell me if I'm wrong, but the population density in Taiwan is nuts. It's like Manhattan population density, if not higher, probably. So three or four kilometers, a lot of people probably heard that and go, that's like two miles. Dude, that's nothing. But you have so many customers in that three or four kilometers. Um, you know, you can make it work. Have you guys thought about drones or other uh, models that get the food to people? Well, we, we do work with uh, third-party logistics as well. So that, you know, basically we'll get the order from our own website or mm -hmm. our own app and and get delivered through, you know, a third-party logistic, right? So yeah. they're, they're not like the DoorDash or the GrabHub, but they're like, you know, the 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 quick service FedEx kind of thing, right? <laughs> so that's, they kind of just do bikers, right? Messengers and all that stuff. Uh, but but I think, um, you know, our challenge is really getting these customers to get stick it to, to us, right? To the platform because, you know, this is just like Netflix, right? You have so much choice yep. on one platform and, you know, you have another one that only have nine or 12 choices. You know, which one would you pick, right? Sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so so I think uh, you know customer conversion, driving traffic as well as retention, keeping the customers. I think you know we we still have to you know find out how to master that, and I, I'm sure there's gonna be a a solution or a model out there that works. But you know uh, I think we still have to find out what it is. Sure. Absolutely. Um, okay, number four. What is the one thing you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Um, I think right now, um, this is just a crazy thought. But um, I think there's two things. That's definitely um, something very interesting. First thing is um, I do think that's, you know, hotels currently or, you know, motels or whatever, you know, accommodations should actually just, you know, release their kitchens, right? They, they should actually just have everything outsourced. And and by keeping a kitchen inside a hotel, I mean, with COVID, it, it's just going to be extra hard. So uh, I've seen, uh, we're actually working with a uh, hotel in Taiwan called Hotel Indigo, where that they outsourced the whole menu. So everything from their breakfast, you know, lunch, dinner, as well as in-room dinings are outsourced to us. So inside their hotels, they still have their own menus. Mm -hmm. And the menu is called Hotel Indigo, but it just, it's not made from there. 
Oh, so they, you make it at the ghost kitchen and then just bring it over to the hotel real quick? Yeah, and they just played it there, right? <laughs> and then survey, survey up to the room. So, Well, it's interesting. I met another guy who, uh, he was in India, and they were doing, uh, they were doing ghost kitchens, but not really. So they were like putting a guy, so let's say they might go into, um, I don't know, let's say there was like a, Sub, a subway or let's say it was, I don't know, pick up restaurants, any restaurant. They would take a guy and say, hey, look, this guy's going to come in and cook uh, waffles out of your kitchen. He needs 100 square feet in the back of your kitchen and like this much, uh, you know, walk-in space. And yeah. he's going to run a delivery-only waffle business out of your kitchen. And he'll just show up and you don't have to do anything. Just give him a little room and, you know, tell him how you want it clean and that's it. Like he'll come in and work it and whatever. It was like that. But what they were doing was they were actually trying to go into the hotel's kitchens yeah. and use those as ghost kitchens. So, so I yeah. like what you're doing, but it was also like, Hey, you got a Now you got a big kitchen sitting there. Why wouldn't you just have a bunch of delivery drivers pull up around the back of the hotel and now you got kitchen space, you know? So, so that's actually our next step. So we're actually, um, we are leasing, you know, yeah. uh, a couple of, um, you know, uh, kitchens from from hotels you know we, we don't have to put in the extra capex yeah and we're paying them rent right and, and really relieving them and to, and still be able to serve fmb within there yeah and um, during and, and the i think the idea actually came from COVID, right sure. because during the lockdown there's a lot of restaurants actually approach us right yeah, and and the reason they approach us is because they're sit-in restaurants, and and you know they're not going anywhere with the delivery services, so they were asking you know if we can temporarily taking over the restaurant for about a month or two months just to putting our brands there, and, and start a ghost kitchen there, and 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 that kind of elaborates to what now we're working with you know hotels or you know other accommodations. To, to really exhibition centers and stuff to really drive that, you know, sure. for them. Yeah. yeah. My theory has been, and, I'm tell, and a couple of our brands are doing that right now, is that every kitchen in the country is a ghost kitchen. <laughs> yes. What are you doing? Like, yes. Like, you've got all the, like, you know, if we all keep building new kitchens, all we're, the only people who are making money in that deal are the restaurant supply houses because they're selling all this new equipment, right? But like, yeah. if you've got a kitchen, um, you are a ghost kitchen by definition. And so therefore you can take on other brands and, and, you know, and there's a lot of restaurants out there whose core business is getting by, you know, that's where you hear those four or 5% profit margin guys. They're just scraping by. As a matter of fact, I believe in the Pareto principle. And I think in the United States, as an example, as a marketplace, there are 20% of the restaurants, 200,000 restaurants that are making all, they're making 80% of the profits. And then, and then there's 80% of the restaurants that are fighting for the remaining 20%. And, you know, like if I was a restaurant owner today, I would, let's say I had a burger chain. It was my Tommy's Burgers. I would have Tommy's Burgers and I would have a web presence for Tommy's Burgers. And then I would have, I would create a web only, uh, Cheap burgers to go brand, and I would create another web only delivery brand that was gourmet burgers. And they would literally be the same exact menu across all three things. I might up some sizes or lower some si like portions, 
on either one, maybe streamline a couple of things. Um, but I would literally be running three restaurants out of that one restaurant because why wouldn't I, you know, there's no reason not to. <laughs> and, and for sure, I mean, like, uh, you know, equipment or kitchen space utilization is, is yeah. definitely like undervalued, I think, <laughs> for, yeah. for, for most of the operators. Yeah. And, and, you know, I personally think that they should actually go visit Hong Kong once because you know, Hong Kong, yeah. given the landmass is so small, yeah. like, you know, they're coming out with two brands out of 150 squares, square feet, right? Yeah. So, you know, at the same time, you know, a chef in America is looking for a 1500 square feet yeah. kitchen and still think it's too small. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like 1500 square feet from us, you know, uh, 12, 9 to 12, we're still adding more brands in there. But eventually, you know, we think that, you know, should be anywhere from 13, 15 to even 20 brands. Sure. Should be able to come up from, you know, one kitchen, right? And and we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. So, you know, definitely there's some brands that's going to do well, very well. And there's going to be brands that's going to, you know, underperforming, but at least overall, when we're stacking all the sales together, we, we still get a pretty impressive income or revenue stream, right? Sure. Let me yeah. let me ask you this: Do you do something special on the printer tickets? Like, do you put like a build spec on the printer tickets, or are you just relying on the trend? Like, if I've got, you know, I'm 13 brands, and let's say there's six different burgers on those 13 brands. How am I to know, like, I, you know, how am I to make sure I'm doing them right? Like, um, is it all because you've simplified the spec? So basically you could have the TGI Friday's burger and the Chili's burger, and there's basically one change in the ingredients, or are you putting a build, like a level, like on the ticket? Like, like, how do they know which burger to make? Like they get confused, right? Or is it just not a problem? Uh, well, to us, I mean, definitely we're not going to name the same. So yeah. we're not going to put a cheeseburger in every brand. Sure. But, you know, we might call because we're actually serving uh, Mr. Beast as well. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, we, we're selling a beast burger and sure. then the Fridays will be a Friday's burger. So, sure. so by naming it differently and that, that definitely helps. That's the and, truth. and the second thing is, you know, we, we have KDS stations, we have, you know, uh, our, you know, uh, like receipts, printers yeah. right so so those ones will also make you know remarks in terms of what kind of burger it is and possibly what kind of ingredients are put in there Got and, it. and and that's what we're working on right now with kds you know are we able to you know to be incorporating a recipe module or sure. a virtual sure. training stuff that comes with every tickets right yep and it, you know like i've been in taco bell kitchens and you know they have all the they have the they have the job aids, right? All the builds, you know, yes. and stuff. Cause that, you know, just you're, I mean, after a while repetition, you'll get used to the name and you'll know what to put on there, but you know, it's making sure that you're getting that quality up. I, I have a question. This is a huge pet peeve for me uh, right now. And I'm curious what you guys do around this. My big pet peeve, and this is true across the restaurant industry and it's been pissing me off for years now. And I eat out a lot, by the way, is order accuracy 
especially yeah. on delivery, when you don't get all the items that you're supposed to get, it just, it drives me through the roof. Like I go from like zero to ballistic in like eight seconds. And like, and then my wife just has to yell at me, like, calm down, you're ruining dinner. But I just get so, I get so angry when things aren't right. How are you guys handling order accuracy? Do you have a, a, someone looking at uh, putting the bags together and physically checking off the items and confirming or like, do you do anything special for that? Yeah. So, um, you know, prior, you know, we, we do have a cashier, right? Yeah. That's kind of, you know, uh, taking the orders and preparing the orders out. But I mean, you know, right now we're doing like 400 or 500 orders a day. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the cashier can really live up to that volume. Sure, so sure. that's why we, we have extra <clears throat> uh, setting extra row, um, uh, someone at a handoff counter and just to checking up every bag, right? Cool. So, and, and, and for that will be a, <clears throat> already a second layer because we, we do have someone in the kitchen that's actually, you know, preparing all the orders together. And then we put into the handoff and the handoff will double check uh, yeah. at the end. And I think uh, we're also building up new technologies. So if we're able to, you know, code it, you know, with every order, every items comes with sticker. So you have to, could be a QR code or a RFID code. So that you have to scan everything yep. in order to put them in the bag in order to get that ticket, you know, erased. Nice. I love it. Yeah. Scanning's yeah. good. I have another idea. I don't want to say because I might try to build it in the future. Um, but I, yeah, I like scanning. Scanning's good stuff. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, do, 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 do. Have I asked this question yet? Did I ask you what is the one thing that you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, uh, hotels or, you know, people oh. are under under utilizing their kitchens, right? So yeah. okay. definitely have to leave that out. Cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, I want to, I'm going to throw one extra question and then we'll get to the end because I know it's late there. Uh, what do you think is the one if you had to, you have to bet you have to narrow it down to one thing. What is the one thing that great hospitality companies have? One thing that you know, great hospitality or restaurant companies, whatever you know, just all right. Well, I think. Um, Well, I'll speak on be my on my behalf and as well as what Just Kitchen is doing. And and that is really getting passionate, right? About what we're trying to do. And getting passionate doesn't mean that, you know, just with great attitude, but you know, opening to new ideas, to new innovations and and be be welcoming to these kind of ever changing world, right? And Passionate can also mean, you know, um, holding the highest standard of quality to really trying to look after the customers, right? So, so the, I think the brick and mortar or the philosophy of hospitality is taking care of people. So are we, you know, standing in, 
in the customer's shoes. If I were a customer, what would I eat, or how would I want to be presented with my orders? So if we're able to create that passion, I think, and 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 that goes a long way. You know, we're we're looking into you know technology adoptions. We're looking into quality controls. We're looking for efficiencies, or we're even looking for more offerings, right? So I, I would say passion. I mean, that's a little you know. Um, abstract, but definitely, it's something that I share with all my staff. Oh, absolutely, and you know what we've been hearing too a lot is culture, which I think passion and culture are the same thing. To be honest with you, like yes, you say exactly. passion. Yeah. What you're saying is I want you guys to actually care about what we're doing, and 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 I want you to care about the customers. I want you to care about the food quality. I want you to care because we're all going to win together if we care. Right, is what you're basically saying. Yeah, and I mean,、uh, I I will ask our corporate office staff to actually go into the kitchens from time to time, right? To really,、yeah. to be on the front line to feel what the customers feel or what the you know what the staff me、uh, feels, right? Because I think in a hospitality uh, environment, uh, I think the first line of people are sometimes undervalued. And you know, it's always the headquarters that's coming out with ridiculous ideas, right?、Yeah. Or <laughs> very bad business decisions, and and you know, the the frontline people, and that's why unions form, right? And that's why you know there's strikes. But if you take care of the front end staff, they will take care of the customers, and the customer will return. So, absolutely, I give you an example. My、uh, one of our friends of the family.、Uh, He's a restaurant guy, and he worked at a he worked for corporate at a a noodles chain out here in the states. And、yeah. he was telling me one time, he was like, "You know, you don't understand how quickly the people at corporate forget what it's like to be in the stores. Like they go to the office for two weeks, and they it's like they never worked in a restaurant before. And one of the things that they decided to do is they don't, you know, wok burners will cook at like eight hundred degrees." They don't have、yeah. a wok burner. They have like a four hundred degree burner, but it, they cook the noodles in woks.、Um, yeah, they decided to go with a the, the, to、uh, increase throughput. They decided to go with a two tiered wok burner setup. So I'm、wow. not a wok burner, like a back row of wok burners that were probably let's say like belly button height, maybe a little bit higher, like mid chest,、yeah. height. and then they had a lower one that might have been like waist height, like. And wow! Yeah, the thing was is that the burner <clears throat> you don't turn them off, you know, like in between、mm. meals. So if you were cooking on the back burner, you were getting a four hundred degree flame, like burning your arms, and the cooks were like wrapping tin foil around their arms and like putting <laughs> to like deflect the heat so they could cook. And and、yeah. and I mean, this is something that got distributed to like hundreds of restaurants. And he was like, he's like, come out here and cook. Right, like you come out here and cook here, and then tell me this was a good idea.、Uh, and another example from that too was they were all talking about how their ticket times were so good, and it was like six minute ticket times. Like that's what they're supposed to be six minutes. And he's like, no, they're lying. This thing takes eight minutes to cook. How could it be cooked in six? And what was happening was they had a KDS system, and the people, the manager, were getting yelled at for the ticket times being too long. So what they just taught the staff to do to get corked、yeah. off their back. Was just to close the ticket when they dropped all the food,、yeah. so 
yeah. but the ticket time would be aligned, right? Yeah. And so those are two examples, same chain, of how uh, you know corporate forgets what's actually happening in the restaurant. And you're right, like, and I will say this too, working at Quiznos, we only had a couple of restaurants that we owned at Quiznos. And, yeah. and I will tell you, if you're ever looking to get a franchise, right? Yeah. One of the biggest red flags you can ever do is if you're looking at a franchise is going to a franchise that doesn't own any corporate stores. So like yeah. the corporate stores we owned was our flagship store that was right in front of our office building for a while. And then we had a couple airport stores. Well, yeah. airport stores don't count because they're yeah. already going to do a couple million dollars a year because they're in an airport and they're just busy, right? Like they yes. don't count. But if you like, if you're going to go buy a franchise, you better buy into one where they own at least, I would say, 25 stores of their own that they operate, and they better be testing out all their new stuff in their corporate stores before they push it on the franchisees, or they better have a history of actually testing things before they release them to the field, you know, because at Quiznos, we would never do that. We would just go, okay, this is going to make us more money. So we'll do it. And then we'd have a rebellion in the field, you know, 4,000 yeah. operators going, we're not doing this. You're retarded. This is like going to cost us a fortune. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. it was bad news. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because the finance guys get in there and we all start looking at, everyone starts looking at numbers and <laughs> at execution, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. I give that, I give credit to McDonald's. They don't just rush into anything. You know what I mean? They test yeah. it for years before they decide to do something because they just know, they just know how their business runs and they're not going to like do anything dumb. Um, oh, exactly. Yeah. I love it. Okay, cool. We're wrapping this thing up. Uh, question number five, uh, war story time. So I want, just a cringeworthy or funny story about something. I don't really care. It could be gross. It could be hilarious. It could be, I can't believe we got through it. I just want something, um, you know, one of those war stories from your, your experience. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I, I mean, there's no doubt moments in, in Just Kitchen uh, in the last uh, year and a half. But I, I, I would like to share something that's uh, even funnier from before. That was my time with Deliveroo. Uh, but, but it was just, uh, you know, when, when we're operating a, a, a platform, uh, you know, the, the worst thing is to have your platform fail, right? <laughs> so when you pay something and then the app shuts down and you're never able to open back up again, right? And uh, there was this one time actually in Taiwan <clears throat> where our writer apps failed. So none of the writers are receiving orders, and and but you know the the orders are still coming in. So so you know what we end up doing is you know we have about a team of fifty people in our in our um, in our offices. So you know trying to meet the customers' needs. So I just rented a bicycle for each one. And then they started to go off into, you know, uh, deliveries, right? And, and we were like buying all these maps, large maps. And then with like this needles trying to pinpoint who, who, who and who is everywhere. And trying to like optimize the routes through, through like our eyes. <laughs> and that's what, that was, that was kind of funny. And it was like raining uh, uh, big time as well. And then so like, 
it, it was only a four to five hour shift, but it was just crazy, right? Like literally we're like, you know, people calling in, you know, where they're heading to. And then we're yelling, you know, is that orders there yet? Can that person pick that up? And then <laughs> that, that was like six to nine o'clock. And, oh. and I think, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, that, that kind of really inspires me, right? Like, you know, like the first time actually everyone is kind of, you know, not asking questions, but really just putting into roles and, and trying to make things work. Right. So we're, we're relying on technology on a daily basis, but when technology fails, you know, everyone's still sticking together. It's, it's one of those exercises that everyone just enjoys so much. Right. And afterwards, midnight, you know, I bring everyone out for a beer and then we just laugh, laugh, like laugh over, you know, the, you know, that night, but definitely something I would remember. And, yeah. and with 50 people, uh, you know, we have 15 people in the office and 35 people out there. We, we were able to deliver almost uh, 500 orders that night. So, so yeah. basically, the 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 sales app was working. So people yes. were yes. but then it wasn't getting delivery drivers to go pick up the take the orders and take them to the people. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and w- there's no way we're able to communicate with all these people, right? Oh yeah, and. They're all contractor bases, right? So, so, so we had to, you know, open a WhatsApp group with a group of people with our staff, and just everyone just have to, you know. And we came up with code name, right? So, like, you know, Eagle means that they've landed, and then you know, Canon means that they're leaving, and all that stuff. So, <laughs> that is, wow, that's yeah. a good one, man. That's up there. That is. <laughs> That is so cool. Well, uh, Michael, I know it's super late there for you, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, I will obviously link to Just Kitchen in the uh, in the show notes. Um, yeah, really appreciate it. Great story. I had a great time today. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Tommy. Uh, I, I had a great time too. Uh, just chatting with you is probably one of the best podcasts I've been. Oh, well, thank you very much. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very good at this. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys for listening to the order up show. We will continue to bring you some great interviews.